As we come to hear God's word, let's bow and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to come together this morning as a church to hear your word. Lord, we pray you would humble us this morning, you would open up our minds and hearts to receive your word and bring good fruit for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Almost this year we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, and if you'd never read through the book of Genesis before, and you got to chapter 12 and started reading about Abram and his faith, if you read the first nine verses of chapter 12, you may have thought, man, this guy is one amazing figure of faith. Upon receiving the word of the Lord, he packed up his family, he left his homeland, he left his relatives, he left all that was familiar, he didn't leave behind a plan B. When he went to follow the Lord to this unknown, unseen land, he packed everything up. He left as a 75-year-old man, traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles, got to a land that God had promised him, that God had said he would show him, and it was filled with people that were enemies of God. And you would think, man, what a tremendous figure of faith, and you might even feel a little bit bad about your own faith and where you stood, because those first nine verses, man, what a picture of faith. And you might have left, verse 9, wondering, well, what amazing act of faith comes next? And then you read verses 10 through 20, and sadly, we see an entirely different picture in the life of Abram. Abram moved from faith to fear and to failure. Well, let's read this morning, Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 10 through 20. If you want to use that pew Bible in front of you, go ahead and take that. The best way to stay engaged in this sermon is to open up your copy of God's Word, track along with where we're going this morning to that pew Bible. If you want to turn to page 9 in the pew Bible, and if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you that Bible this morning. Take that home with you. That's our gift to you. And if you'd like for somebody here at this church to read the Bible with you, talk to one of our pastors at the door, talk to a member around you. We'd love to share with you more about the truth of God's Word. Let me read all of Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20 as we begin our time together. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Well, to be sure, by God's grace, Abram went on to live a life of faith and obedience. We're going to keep tracking, Lord willing, in the book of Genesis, the rest of this 
fall. And we'll see that. We'll see continued faith and obedience by, by God's grace. But what came immediately after the faith demonstrated by Abram in the first nine verses of chapter 12 was fear, failure. You see, the Bible gives us a realistic picture of what faith looks like, of what a life with God looks like. We should expect to see faith and obedience. If you're not walking in obedience to God's word, I don't know what you mean when you call yourself a Christian. But if you deny that you have sin in your life, like we heard from 1 John this morning, I don't know what you mean when you say that you're a Christian. We should expect to see faith and obedience, and we should also expect regular confession of sin to God to be a pattern in the life of the Christian as we walk by faith this side of glory. You see, the Bible gives us this realistic picture of what faith looks like. We, we know as Christians that we will know trials in this life that will serve as tests for our faith. And in those trials, we must be reminded that our strength is found in, in God's faithfulness, not our own. That's the main idea for the sermon this morning. If you're taking notes, the main idea of this passage that I want us to see, our strength is found in God's faithfulness and not our own. Christian life, that's what we've come to understand. What is great is God's faithfulness, not the strength or intensity of our own faith, but God's faithfulness to his promises. Well, in the beginning of chapter 12, we saw that there were promises God gave to Abram telling him of all that he would do. And we just saw, I will, I will, I will, as God promised what he would do in the life of Abram. It was the initiating of a covenant where God himself obligated himself to Abram. We'll see in Genesis chapter uh, 17 later on, Lord, 15 later on, Lord willing, the, the ratifying of that covenant. But chapter 12, we see the initiation of it. And the main promise was to bless Abram, to bless him. And those promises centered around God giving Abram land and descendants. Through that land and through those descendants, God promised that he would make Abram a, a great nation, that he would give a great name to Abram and to his descendants. Now, consider this. While Abram was promised the land and he was led there by God to see it, God even appearing to him there in the land when he led him there. This was a promise that was not yet fulfilled. Abram arrived, the land was occupied by the Canaanites there, and so he had been promised this land, but it was not yet fulfilled. So Abram was living in a situation where he had already been promised the land, already been promised that, that God himself would make his name great and bless him and bless him to be a great nation, but he had not yet seen this promise fulfilled. It was a time of waiting. A time of waiting between something already promised, but not yet received. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you put your faith of Jesus Christ upon repenting of your sin, immediately you were led into this life with God where your sins were forgiven, taken away from you, freed from the power of sin over you, no longer living under the power of sin. All of God's promises made yours through faith in Jesus Christ. You've already been saved. You've already been redeemed. You've already been forgiven of your sins. The promise of eternal life in God by God's grace, already yours. Nothing will jeopardize that. God himself will preserve you to the end. Already we can rejoice today in God's salvation. Yet we live here on earth this side of glory. We struggle with sin like we just confessed. 
We struggle with trial and temptation. We know the pain of sin. We know the pain of grief and sorrow that we experience this side of glory. We know the tragic circumstances of death and the enemy that death is on an ongoing basis to God's people. And we look forward to that day when finally the promises will be fulfilled. When either Christ returns, which happens, Lord willing, very soon, and we look forward to, or when we go to be with our God and live forever with Him. You see, we live in this time of waiting between what we've already received through salvation in Christ, but not yet fully been fulfilled. We live in the already and the not yet. We are in a time of waiting. And like Abram, we must look to God's faithfulness in this time of waiting. And like Abram, by God's grace, we must persevere by faith through fear and through failure. We're going to consider this morning what it looks like to wait for God. That's going to be our outline this morning, what it looks like to wait for God. And there's two parts to this outline this morning. The first part in verses 10 through 16, what it looks like to wait for God. By faith, we persevere through fear and failure. First part of our outline in verses 10 through 16, what it looks like to wait for God. By faith, we persevere through fear and failure. Well, again, Abram had left his homeland, he'd left his relatives, he packed everything up, traveled hundreds of miles, and there, there was no land for him to settle in immediately. But there was a promise that he could cling to that God would eventually give this land to him and to his descendants. Abram believed God. He obeyed God. He set up altars there in the land of the Canaanites to worship God and to claim that land for God's holy name. It was a great start in verses 1 through 9. But notice how quickly the story transitions from God's promises to bless Abram to a very difficult situation. In Abram's time of, of waiting, we see that a severe famine came in the very land that God had led him to. Think about this. He was there in Ur and then there in Haran, and he followed God to this new land. He was probably doing just fine, had plenty of food and everything he needed in his homeland, follows God, walking in obedience, living in the will of God, and there in that land comes a difficult situation. Famine. So his moment of faith was followed by difficulty. His moment of faith was followed by a trial. Now, I've never been through a famine. I don't know that you have either. I mean, we go through like semi-famines every time it's a threat of snow here where you can't find bread or you can't find eggs or milk for some reason in southern grocery stores. But if you think about a famine, that's a pretty big deal. Like, you don't have food. I mean, look what happened to us back in May when there was the threat of gasoline running out. People were acting crazy. They were lining up for minutes and minutes, getting into fights at gas tanks. Right? We were wondering, are we going to have enough gas to get to work? I had a wedding to go officiate about two hours from here, and I thought, I have enough gas to get there, but will I have enough gas to get back? Right? It might have caused you a little bit of, of anxiety during that time. Remember what it was like going to the grocery store at the beginning of the shutdown when the value of toilet paper seemed like it was the value of gold? It's hard to find it. If you found that, you might put it on next door or text your friend where they could find toilet paper. Like We go crazy with scarcity of products like that that we really can survive without with. So imagine what it would be like to have the threat of no food. How are you going to feed your family? I mean, Abram had a, a big group of people to be responsible for. He follows God to this land. He's living in tents. He's sojourning, and there is no 
food. So what did he do? Well, he, he has a trial that would test his, his faith. But, but first I want you to see, this shows, if we think about it, you can walk by faith. You can walk in obedience to God and be in his will and still suffer. Sometimes we do suffer because of our own sin. But oftentimes we suffer because we live in a fallen world. Oftentimes suffering is just the experience we know this side of heaven. And the book of Genesis shows us this already but not yet dynamic of God's blessed people suffering as we live in a fallen world. And isn't that the way that it it works in the Christian life? As we walk by faith in, in Christ on our way to the promised land to live with God forever, we know that we can experience difficulty. We should not be surprised by that. It's hard. Being surprised doesn't mean it's not difficult, doesn't mean it's not painful, but the Scriptures equip us to not be surprised by that reality. We read in the New Testament that Christians must not be surprised by trials. They come in various forms, some small, some big, some right on top of one another. We should expect them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. As we walk by faith in Christ, we're not exempt from trials. We're not exempt from difficulties or hardships. If somebody told you that if you put your faith in Jesus, that life would just be like walking in Candyland, you'd have no health and wealth and prosperity, they were preaching to you a different gospel. And it's not what we see in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. It's not what we see throughout the New Testament. We need to be equipped. And as your pastor, I want to equip you, all of us, to be ready and be prepared for suffering and for trials in our lives. And I thank God for the witness of this church. And the reason we, we value church membership, and we, we understand it's biblical, but think about the benefits of it. When you come together in the life of the church, so, some of you can say, uh, you're just not at the place where you've known a lot of suffering yet. But you can look around in this church and you can see God's grace evident in the lives of members of this church who have testimonies of walking with God right now through suffering. Members of this church who've lost their husbands or their wives, who've lost children, who've suffered unemployment, who've suffered or are suffering through disease and sickness, hardship, financial difficulty. And by God's grace, we see perseverance in their lives. And what a testimony that is to us as Christians, that if we've not yet known those things, if the Lord tarries, we can expect we will know trials similar to those. We all know that we will suffer the trial of death one day. If Christ does not return first, our health will fail, and we will go like saints who've sat in these very pews before us, suffering death and on to glory. And yet our hope is in the Lord. So we see here in the life of Abram an expectation that It's pronounced for us in the New Testament. We should expect trials and difficulties. Well, with this famine in the land, the stage was set to either walk by faith or to live in fear. Now, I mentioned last week that while Abram stands out for his faith and is commended in both the Old Testament and the New Testament for his faith, we also see failures in the book of Genesis. We see his flaws and we see fear. We get a, a realistic picture of what it looks like for believers to persevere through fear and failure. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm struggling with fear, I'm struggling with a failure in my life, you need to know there's hope that those moments, they will not crush you. If you're living by faith, you have assurance in God's 
faithfulness, that he indeed is the one that causes you to persevere. Well, in this section, we see two decisions that Abram makes that don't suggest faith, that they show us fear. Uh, first was the decision to go down to Egypt. And second was the decision to come up with a deceptive plan to say that his wife was actually his sister. First we read in verse 10, Abram went down to Egypt. Now this wasn't him abandoning the promised land. We don't read that he was returning back to Haran or to, to Ur. We have the detail that he was on a sojourn or a, a temporary stay in Egypt. Now Egypt was not a forbidden place to go. From what I read in my study uh, this week of this passage, going to Egypt was the natural place that the people would go during a famine. Uh, there was the Nile River there, plenty of water for crops, for cattle there. So it's kind of a natural place you'd think to go if there was famine in your land. Well, we'll go down to Egypt. There's an abundance of crops there. However, the original audience, when they heard going down to Egypt, likely what they would have heard is going down to Egypt is not trusting the Lord. In a passage like Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1, we read this. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. So like what we hear in Isaiah 31, I think what's problematic about Abram going down to Egypt is that we don't see in this passage Abram consulting the Lord. We didn't see God guiding him down to Egypt. You know, th that's maybe one option he could have had. He could have consult consulted the Lord, like, Lord, all right, they, they have a lot of water down there with the Nile River. Like, where do you want me to go? What should I do? But he didn't do that. He had more options than just immediately going. He could have prayed to God. He could have consulted the Lord, but he didn't do that. He just did what people naturally did. He packed up, got out of town, went down to Egypt. Yet, Abram was not an ordinary person. He wasn't to act in an ordinary way. He was led to the land of Canaan by God himself. God spoke to him. God appeared to him. He wasn't an ordinary person. And God, we don't see this in the scripture, God did not guide him to leave that land and go down to Egypt. So I understand this decision to go to Egypt, it seems to be a decision born out of fear. He responded to famine with a fearful plan. The second sign of fear is a bit more obvious. We read in verses 11 through 13 that Abram was fearful he would be killed in Egypt, and he came up with a scheme to suggest that Sarah was not his wife, but his sister. Now, it seems that there would have been a real concern about his wife's safety in Egypt. So his concern may not have been irrational. Whatever it is that, that he knew about the Egyptians, he feared they would kill him in order to take his wife, Sarah. Now, while there, there might be some substance to his fear for their safety, that does not support him asking his wife to join him in deception. That was lying. It was sinful. It was dishonest. Again, he would have had other options, like trusting God's protection and care for him, or just not going there in the first place. So remember that we've said previously in this series that faith is clinging to the promises of God. Faith is trusting God, clinging to his promises. We can either believe the promises of the world that are empty and fading, or we can believe in the promises of God that are sure. Not always easy to trust, but God's promises are sure. Now back in verses 1 through 3, God promised Abram he would make him into a great nation. 
if Abram were killed, there would be no great nation that would come from him. They had no child, right? So they had no offspring. Sarai was, was barren. That would have been the end of the story had he gotten killed in Egypt. There would be no great nation. There would have been no Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. There would be no Exodus or Leviticus or whatever else. This was God's plan. This was his plan for redemption. It was a promise that he had given to Abram. So Abram's fear did not line up with the truth of God's word. God revealed what was true, and Abram wasn't living in light of that. Now, we may certainly assess our fears. Again, it, it might have been good reason to be concerned about going to Egypt. So when I talk about fear, I understand there are some circumstances, like if I walked out in my backyard this morning and saw a bear, it would make sense if I got out of my backyard and went inside and called my neighbors and put an emergency alert on Nextdoor app to let everyone know there's a bear outside. Right, that, that, fear would have been, that fear would be based in some sort of substance where I would need to be on the alert and alert others to a, a danger. So not all of our fear is unfounded. Hear me clearly when I say that. Our fears may or may not turn out to be true. Often they don't turn out to be true. But God's promises are always true. And you and I can be sure of that. You see, fear so often lies to us about the future. Fear so often gets us living in this way as if we, we, we live in a way considering that the future, that God's not going to provide for us, that God's not going to care for us, that we're not going to have what we need. Fear takes our eyes off of God and His promises and imagines a future without Him. That's what's so dangerous about fear. It's why it's something that we're not to embrace, but rather to recognize and certainly can assess but then repent and turn to God and ask Him to renew our minds to be in line with the truth of His revealed Word. You see, fear often anticipates God not being faithful to His promises. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we should pray against fear. Pray for God's help, that, that faith clings to the promises of, of God. Ask Him for a deeper faith, to strengthen your faith. It's by faith that we persevere through fear, and seek to cling to the promises of God, which are sure. You see, Abram had just recently received these promises, and yet he fell into fear and didn't live in light of them. And as Christians, I think we can relate to that. How, how quick are we to hear promises of God on Sunday morning, and then go on forgetting them by Sunday afternoon? How quick are you and I to spend time in God's Word in the morning, a good thing to do in a daily devotional, and then forget God's promises by lunchtime and start to live in fear and anxiety as if we have to protect ourselves or provide for ourselves. How long does it take us to forget God's promises? Well, brothers and sisters, let's pray for our own souls this week. Good prayer to pray that you'd remember God's word and cling to truth this week. A great way to minister to one another remind one another of the truth of God's word. Let's encourage one another, not merely with cliches or hopes that things will get better and tomorrow will be a different day, but rather let's encourage one another with what we know to be true and sure, God's word. Well, in verse 13, we see that Abram fell into self-preservation mode. He came up with a, a deceptive plan telling Sarai to say that she was his sister, which was half true, by the way. We see later in Genesis chapter 20, verse 12, that she was his half-sister. She was the daughter of his father, but they had different 
mothers, right? Which wasn't unusual in that day. It's kind of a half-truth. We could have said, oh, you know, it's a half-truth, but if it's not the whole truth, it's still a lie. Well, why this particular lie? What advantage would there be for him to say, and what was the motivation anyways for him to say this? Well, verse 13 tells us it was self-preservation, it was selfish, that it may go well with me, that my life may be spared. He feared for his life, that he came up with a lie to tell in order to protect himself. Now, God had already promised divine protection for Abram. Look back in verse 3. We read the promise, and him who dishonors you I will curse. God had promised his divine protection to Abram. So Abram's fear, again, was not in line with the revealed word of God, not in line with God's promises. And so he was trusting in human devices, in his own scheme, rather than trusting in God's promise and in his divine protection. Now, one reason that Abram may have suggested, because it seems kind of weird, like why would he go to Egypt and say, yeah, this is my sister, and we're traveling together. Culturally, that may not make a lot of sense to us as modern readers. Well, back in that day, Abram, being her brother, would have placed him in a position to negotiate with any person who wanted her as his wife, kind of like a, a, a dowry system. So several scholars that I read this week speculated that Abram's plan was actually uh, not to give Sarah away to be someone else's wife. He wasn't looking for real negotiations, but, but rather posing as her brother would have provided a negotiation period that likely would have given him some time to stall, to get food, to escape, and get out of there. Right? So that was kind of his plan, like they'll want her. I'll say, sure, let's talk about this tomorrow. Give me your first offer. I'll get back to you in the morning. And that would have given him some time to maybe get out of there and get the supplies that he needed. Well, that might have worked with an ordinary person. But we see that she ended up attracting not just an ordinary person, but Pharaoh. She was looking good at 65, and she caught the, air, the eye of Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh himself came in, and there would be no negotiation with Pharaoh. There would be no, I will get back to you in the morning, Pharaoh. I'll let you know what I think about your offer. Pharaoh would take what he wanted. That would be the end of the deal. There would be no negotiations. Verse 15, that's what happened. Now, Abram was compensated as if he were his brother. So in verse 16, Abram got rich. He got given a lot of treasure and riches from Pharaoh, an abundance of possessions. He got rich, but he lost his wife. Not a really good trade. He got rich, but who would he share that with? What would he do? There was no gain. This was a tremendous loss. Abram's failure, his fear led to a mess. His faith was tested, and we see his failure here. Well, consider as Christians how we can relate to what we see here with Abram. Again, we can expect various kinds of trials in our lives that will test our faith. Get the joy that, that James talks about, even in James chapter 1. The joy we know in trials is not the trial itself. There's not joy in the trial itself. There's joy in the God who reigns sovereignly over the trials. We know that the trials that we experience are not without purpose. God uses trials to test our faith. In James chapter 1, verse 3, we read that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And what that means, God accomplishes something in us through our trials. You see, trials are a test that reveal our faith in God. You can think of them as a test and an opportunity. A test that reveals our faith in God. And, and trials are an opportunity to 
for God to produce steadfastness and maturity. So I wonder, Christian, what trial in your life right now the Lord is using that is growing you in your faith? The trial itself is not pleasant, hard. It may be on your mind, heart a lot. It may be weighing you down this morning, but your hope is not in just tomorrow getting better. Our hope is in God. He is good. He is wise. We are regularly caught off guard with circumstances in in our lives. He is never caught off guard. He is always in control. He always has a plan. He always has the way out. The way out for all of us eventually will either be Christ returning or the Lord ushering us out of this world into the next life to be in glory with Him. He is completely wise and sovereign and good and perfect in all His ways. And our hope is not in Him. Excuse me, our hope is in Him and not in our ability to see what tomorrow might hold. You see, in Abram's story, we can see similarities to our lives as Christians, that like Abram, God has graciously called us out of sin to be worshipers of him. And as we seek to walk in faith and obedience to God, we know that we can expect trials. As our faith is tested, we are often tempted to doubt God and to doubt his promises, tempted to doubt his care for us, tempted to doubt his provision for us, tempted to come up with our own schemes and plans and live according to our own wisdom rather than walking by faith and in obedience. And as we struggle with fear and failure, brother and sister, we must look to Jesus. He's the one who was tempted in all things just as we are, yet he remained faithful. Jesus perfectly honored God in all that he did as the Son of God. He was the only one qualified to stand in our place as a substitute, and to die and pay the penalty for our sins against God. He's the one we're reminded of every Sunday morning that we must turn to for strength to persevere through every fear and failure. Sunday, we call it the Lord's Day because we understand in the New Covenant, our rest is not in a day, our rest is in a person. This is the Lord's Day, Sunday morning, the day that Jesus got up from the dead, and we rest in his resurrection power, the spirit of Christ that resides in every believer who's repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. And the confidence we have to persevere through every fear and failure is found in following him. Let's consider in these last three verses, verses, uh, last four verses, 17 through 20, let's consider a second way we wait for God. God's faithfulness protects and preserves us. What we see here in this story, the assurance we have, God's faithfulness protects and preserves us. What could Abram do? Pharaoh had his wife. It's not like Abram could take all of those riches back and say, Pharaoh, I want a refund. Like, here you go. Here's the camels and the donkeys and all that stuff. I'd like my wife back. Uh, That wasn't going to work. First off, he'd have to tell him, hey, Pharaoh, I lied to you. Uh, Yeah, like, can, can we settle this disagreement? He was stuck in a hard place. There was no human way out. There would be no negotiations. And what we see in verse 17, when there was no human way out, we see a display of God's amazing grace in action. You see, the story of Abram is one of God's preservation of him and his family. Look at the first three words there of verse 17. But the Lord. It's the turning point in the story, but the Lord. We see what Abram did. Abram made a big mess, but the Lord. Abram walked in unbelief, but the Lord. 
Abram messed up big time, lost his wife, had no way out, but the Lord acted in faithfulness. We don't read here that Abram prayed. We don't read here that Abram planned. Maybe he did. We don't read here that Abram mustered up faith, that Abram started consulting people and consulting God to figure out a plan. What we read is what the Lord did. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Abram was powerless, but the Lord moved in power. Abram lacked faith, but the Lord was faithful. Abram was unable to do anything, but the Lord was able. The Lord worked in faithfulness. Now, in the story of Genesis, it traces so many different characters. We've traced from, from Adam and Eve to Seth to Noah, now to Abram. We'll continue on with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, on into the book of Exodus. So many different characters that we get to see their lives. But make no mistake, the main character in the book of Genesis is God. It's a story about God and his power to create and to redeem. The book of Genesis is a story not of people's faithfulness, though we certainly see evidence of God's fruit in their lives, of them walking by faith. The main idea, the main story is God's faithfulness. His power, his grace, his mercy is what is on display in the book of Genesis. And we see here that only God's divine protection could restore this situation. And the good news for Abram was that God had promised his divine protection. So the Lord sent plagues to punish Pharaoh. And these plagues, they were punishment. So, so Pharaoh is not pictured here as being innocent. Oh, poor Pharaoh, he just got deceived into a plan. No, the dude had a harem, right? And he was taking people's uh, sisters and whatnot and putting them in a harem. Like what he was doing was wrong. And so God was just to punish him for his sin. Now it's interesting that, that Pharaoh recognized when these plagues came upon him, he recognized it was connected to what he did in taking Abram's wife. We don't get a lot of details there, but we do see clearly. He recognized, hey, all these plagues and whatever they were at that time were coming upon him because of what he did to Abram's wife. Implied here is that even a pagan king recognized Abram's God. Even a pagan king recognized the power of Abram's God. In verse 18 and 19, Pharaoh rattled off questions as a a rebuke of sorts to Abram for his deception. He says, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? And we don't read any response from Abram. He stood there guilty and in silence. At the end of verse 19, we read that Pharaoh let him go. But make no mistake, this wasn't a generous gesture of Pharaoh. The reason that Pharaoh let him go is because God is the one who safely delivered Abram and Sarah from Egypt. It was the power of God, his power displayed in those plagues, God's sovereign rule over all that was going on. The same God who called Abram out of idolatry, the idolatry of sin, to be a worshiper of the one true God in the promised land. This is the one who rescued Abram and Sarai out of the situation that they couldn't get themselves out of. God's divine initiative is what is highlighted in the story. God is faithful. God is gracious. God is in control. He alone is wise, and he gave his divine protection to them just as he promised and led them back to the promised land. In God's grace, Abram didn't even have to return all those camels and donkeys back. 
He got to keep the possessions. Look at the end of verse 20. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Pharaoh was just done and wanted him out. But God even ended up bringing a, a gracious blessing there, right? So what's amazing about God's grace is that God blessed Abram even as he walked in fear. His fear was wrong. It was sinful. It did not please God. But his fear did not take him out of God's favor. He belonged to God. God himself redeemed and saved Abram. And Abram, while he acted in fear, God acted in faithfulness to his promise. You see, whatever faith Abram can be commended for, that faith that we see evident in his life in Scripture, it's that faith itself was fruit of God's grace in his life. Left to himself, he would walk in fear and failure. Left to himself, he would have been killed or his wife would have been taken away from him. But God was faithful to protect him. God was faithful to preserve him and his family. The message here, God makes promises and he keeps them, period. God makes promises and he keeps them, always. God displayed his faithfulness by rescuing Sarah, delivering them out of Egypt, preserving them to return to the promised land. Now, as the nation of Israel heard their history here from Moses, the narrator of Genesis, as they heard their history here in Abram, this would have brought them comfort. Their God is faithful. He makes promises and he, he keeps them. And just as God delivered Abram from Egypt to return with Sarai to the promised land, God would deliver them out of the wilderness where Moses was telling this story and deliver them to the promised land. They should trust him. That was the message Moses is giving here in this passage. May we be encouraged today as God's people in the church that as we sojourn and we travel this side of glory, that God is the one who preserves and protects his people. Brothers and sisters, what that means is that consider this morning, our assurance as Christians is not found in the strength of our faith. Our assurance as Christians is found in God's faithfulness. Every single Christian here. You're going to be at different places in your sanctification here in this room. Praise God for that. There are going to be some of you that are mature in your faith, some of you that are new in your faith. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Maturity doesn't necessarily come with being a Christian 20 years. You can be a mature Christian and be fairly new in your life with the Lord. What I mean to say is this. Our assurance is not found in the intensity of our faith. Our assurance is found in God's faithfulness. Our assurance is not found just in how much we believe God's promises this morning. We may find ourselves struggling with fear and failure. This may be the very place God's brought you this morning to repent of that and to trust in him. And your assurance this morning is found in God. He is gracious. He is faithful. He alone is the one brother and sister in Christ that will preserve you and keep you until the end. Left on your own, you and I would not finish the race. Left to ourselves, we would turn away and forsake our God. But we've been filled with his spirit, given the down payment, the deposit, the guarantee that God himself will carry us on to the end. The one who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of salvation in the Lord. Our assurance found in him and his promises. What that means, Christian, is that the story of your life, by God's grace, it continues on through fear and through failure because of God's faithfulness. Remember what we said last week, one of the greatest applications to Scripture. Sometimes we just think, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do tomorrow? It's a good question to ask when coming to God's Word. But often one of the greatest applications to Scripture is to stand in awe of God. He is so gracious. He's so good. He's so faithful. 
I don't treat people like this often. When people turn away from me, I stop talking to them. I cut them off. God doesn't do that to me. I want to be more like him. I want to love more like him. I'm overwhelmed by his grace and his kindness to me in Jesus, and I want to be more like him. You see, God's divine action in this passage, it reminds me of a, a similar phrase in the New Testament book of Ephesians that also shows God's divine action. In Genesis 12, we see that Abram was helpless, but the Lord acted. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see as Christians our spiritual condition before faith in Christ, that we were dead in our sins, and we see a familiar phrase there in Ephesians 2 verse 4, but God. Ephesians 2 4, but God being rich in mercy. And I've got this on a sign up in my office. You'll see it every day. Some of you see it in the baptism pictures I post. A phrase there, but God. It shows the turning point in redemptive history. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The blessing that Abram was looking forward to was realized in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The greatest blessing that Abram looked forward to, that the world has ever known as God, sending his son Jesus to die and to pay the penalty for sin by dying on the cross and raising him from the dead that we might have new life in him if we'd repent of our sin and trust in Jesus. You see, God demonstrated his love and his faithfulness by keeping all of his promises in his son Jesus Christ. In Christ, people from all nations are blessed and redeemed, forgiven of their sins, brought into a life with God now and forevermore if they repent of sin and believe in him. It's the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 12, and you and I get to live in it. You and I get to experience the blessings and the riches of God's kindness in Jesus Christ, and you and I get to be the chosen ones as God's people in the local church to proclaim this blessing to the nations, to send it out, to send it out in this city this week, to send it out to Russia and to Thailand and to northern Iraq, and to Scotland, all the missions partnerships we're forming right now, it's the privilege and the responsibility we have as Christians, as those who've received the promise to proclaim it to the nations around us. And our risen Savior, we consider him every Sunday morning together, reminds us of God's faithfulness. He is faithful. He's filled us all with his spirit to preserve us through every trial and temptation until he safely delivers us home to our promised land in heaven. And until that day, our assurance is not found in the strength of our faith, which far too often ebbs and flows, but is, the, and is found in the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon, who put it like this, My faith rests not upon what I am, or shall be, or feel, or know, but in what Christ is, and what he has done, and what he is now doing for me. Let's bow and pray. Father, may it be said this morning that our faith has found a resting place in your son Jesus. May it be renewed this morning, this resting place, to trust in Jesus, to be reminded of his strength, of his power, of his wisdom, of his love and care for us. And may the renewing of that strength this morning lead to a renewed life of faith, and obedience to your commands, a renewed life of worship. Lord, we want more of you. And so we ask that you would grow our appetite for you and for your glory, grow our appetite for your word, 
aid us in our faith, that we would take you at your word, that we would trust you and follow you, and comfort us this morning with the assurance we have of your gracious preservation of our lives to safely deliver us home. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.